Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on whipandstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock.com, as well as amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. Let's open up to Psalm 23. We don't know for sure when this psalm was written. Uh, many people think it was likely written during the time that David was running from Absalom or maybe after that time. And so this quite possibly is the lowest point in David's life. Um, your own son is trying to kill you, trying to overthrow you. Um, he's fleeing in a sense in shame. Uh, but out of this great time of hardship, and this is often true, comes this incredible psalm of beauty, maybe the most famous and powerful. So uh, Israelites would have spoken of God as our shepherd. That would have been not radical. But to speak of God in such a personal way as, no, no, he's my shepherd, that would have been rare. But David had that kind of confident experience of God's provision in his life. And so I want us to think about what was it that led David to such an experience. So uh, first point would just be God, God provides. Let's look at Psalm 23, start in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So for this metaphor to really work, for us really in a sense to milk it for all it's worth, we've got to imagine if God's our shepherd, then what does that mean we are? We're the sheep. And sheep are not known for their intelligence. Uh, They are not known for their strength. They are not known for their confidence, their bravery. Sheep are weak. They're needy. They're dependent little animals. And to the degree that we really see ourselves that way, we're defenseless. We need a shepherd. Better chances are we're going to be able to experience God as this all-providing shepherd. Now, maybe the test is like, well, do I really think of myself that way? Can we honestly say with David, I shall not want? And what that means is I don't lack anything. Now, that's really hard practically because we can think, we can think of a lot of things we lack. But, but the point is this. Whatever the Lord ordains is right. Whatever God is giving me in this season of my life is exactly what he wants me to have. John Newton has this famous saying. He said, everything is needful that he sends. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. So it's not wrong to have, I mean, we've been talking about this all quarter. It's not wrong to have things in your life that you're like, God, I don't have this in my life right now. And I would like it. I think it's important. I think it's a good thing. I'm praying for you, but in the meantime, I trust you. I trust your timing. I trust that for whatever reason, I don't have this thing in my life that I would like. You have good wisdom for making me wait. Right? We've talked about David's secret of contentment, Paul's secret of contentment, Philippians 4 when he's in a dungeon. I can be content in Christ, whether I'm hungry or well-fed. Okay? Um, can we say that? Verse 2 He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And there's a couple of different ways that you could look at this verse that really go together. But I'm sure we've all had this experience, especially when our children are younger. And maybe they're tired. They didn't have their nap. They're in a terrible mood. And it's like, hey, buddy, it's time for you to go to bed. My dad has a story he loves to tell about me when I was really little and I was, you know, in a terrible mood, foul mood. He's like, son, you're tired. You're going to bed. And he said, I looked at him. I think I was like four and said, I'm not tired, Dad. I never get tired. He loves to remind me of that. Um, But little children, they're like sheep. They're stupid. They don't even know their own needs, right? 
And we as the parent, we're not perfect, but we have so much more wisdom of what the child needs. And sometimes we have to say to them, hey, buddy, you are tired. You're going to lay down. I'll just give a really practical example. Um, maybe the last month has been very busy, been traveling a lot, speaking a lot. And I had a week where, and I, and I try to be very faithful in having one day, a real Sabbath, where I don't work. And sometimes it's harder than others. And this week, as I was looking at my calendars, like, if I'm going to make that happen, it's going to be Tuesday. But then I was looking at all the work I had to do. And it's kind of like, I don't think I can really take Tuesday all the way off. And I kind of did the thing in my mind, ah, I feel like this is an ox in the ditch type situation, right? And I kind of was convicted, like, no, it's not. But I'm like, I'm going to work Tuesday anyway. Now, here's the point. You'll probably heard I got COVID last week, okay? And it wasn't terrible. I mean, basically, it was like just a five-day vacation at home. And I think what the Lord said is, hey, you think you're too big and strong to need to rest? I veto your decision. I'll make you rest five days. God knows when to make us lay down when we don't want to lay down. Okay? But, but guys, just think about this. Israel was a slave nation, right, under a tyrant, under a taskmaster. More bricks, less straw. They didn't get vacations. They didn't get 401K plans or anything like that. And then when God rescued them, and he said, let me give you the ten most important laws in our covenant relationship. One of them was, one day out of seven, you have to rest. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, our God is not a tyrant. Our God loves us so much, he knows what we need, that he says, I command you to rest. I command you to enjoy. I command you to do what your soul most needs. Now, it's not just physical rest. It's much more. Look at verse 3. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I mean, everything that we need, psychological, emotional rest, he gives it to us. It's, it's soul refreshing. And I love this because he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Don't answer out loud, but just be honest with yourself for a second. What's the major sin struggle that you're having in your life right now? What's the sin that you are tempted to go back to over and over and over again and you can't seem to break free or make any real progress? Or your progress seems more like a roller coaster, right? It's like, man, this week has been great! And then it's like, oh, next week was worse. One of the ways that you can pray that God will give you freedom from that sin is, Lord, make me holy, not for myself, but for you. Guide me practically in steps of righteousness not just for me, although, yes, it will be a benefit for me. Because, God, I want to honor you with my life. And we know that God is committed to his own glory. So, Lord, for your name's sake, would you do this? God is a provider. He's the perfect provider. Now, if we just stop the psalm right here, it almost sounds like life is just a big vacation and picnic with Jesus. Everything's just sunshine and roses and blessings. That's not the case, though. So we keep going. Second point, God protects. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. So even when death seems close, even when it seems like it's hanging over our head, God is there. He's with us in the hardest of times. Okay? Now, the rod and the staff... A shepherd would have had a big stick, and there were a lot of things that he could have done with that big stick. One of the main things, if a wolf or a predator came, the shepherd might use it to beat the predator away. Our God is a protector. He protects us from our enemies. Okay? But also, uh, God, he's a disciplinarian. 
right? I mean, just go back. When, when you are being the most spirit-filled parent that you know how to be, I mean, and I'm having to learn this now, my sons are 22, 19, and 17. And being a disciplinarian, uh, my, my daughter's just so perfect, I never have to discipline her, okay? So, uh, but, but being a disciplinarian for basically adults that still are on the payroll, okay, um, is different from disciplining these little people, right? It's like, I'm just going to spank you hard on your bottom, put you to bed, I win, it's over, and you'll wake up in the morning and you'll still love me. But when it's somebody like this, and it's like, hey, you do that again, and I'm taking away the credit card, and I'm just going to let you suffer on your own with no money for a month and see how you like that one. But then you're also trying to say, hey, I'm your best friend, and I want to kind of be your counselor and mentor in life. That can be really hard to sell, to do both at the same time. It's hard to be a good disciplinarian and also this loving kind of mentor in their life. I have not figured out the secret yet. You can pray that for me. But, but God has. God has the perfect right balance of coming alongside us to console us. At the same time, to discipline us. You know, one of the illustrations Pastor Reader used to uh, say that I thought was great, he said sometimes his dad used to put his arm around him. Right? You all remember this? I love you. And then he would do that thing where he'd flip his leg up and kick him in the butt. And it's kind of like, but you need to get going. And that, that's a good picture of God. He can console and discipline all at the same time. And he knows exactly what we need. No weapon formed against us will prosper. I'm going to use an illustration. I remember using this years ago. And after I used it, I remember Fred said, I don't want any of my boys playing football for you. Now, I don't coach football anymore. All right. So uh, I don't know if you remember that, Fred, but I do. Is when I was coaching fifth graders in little, you know, football, I was trying you know, most of these are like sweet little Broadwood kids. They've never played tackle football before. So they first kind of get out to the field and uh, they don't want to touch each other. Right. They're kind of being gentle. And it's like, no, no, no. There's a place for gentleness in life, son. It's not here, right? This is a place for violence. It's con controlled violence, right? Uh, and, and what we would say, and I remember even having this conversation with one of my boys. And somebody, I said, listen, are you saying you want us to hurt the other people on the other team? It's like, yes. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. Now, I had to explain. There's a difference between hurt and injure. I don't want you to injure anybody, right? I don't want you to break their leg and do something that's going to be permanent. That would be terrible. I do want you to hurt them. And by that I mean I want you to hit them so hard that they cry and they run off the field and look for mom, right? That's how you win football. Okay, now we can debate whether that's uh, good, you know, parenting advice or not. Here's the point. God is such a loving God, at times he will hurt us to get our attention, will he not? The rod and the staff, sometimes he protects, but sometimes he's disciplining us. But it's always in kindness. It's always in perfect measure. My wife and I were praying for one of our sons very recently. And as we were praying, and I was, here was the bottom line of my prayer. Hey, God, do whatever it takes to get his attention. And I was like, I don't care what it takes. If he has to have like a, a, a fight with one of his friends that breaks him, if he has to fail a class, you know, if you have to break his leg, if he has to go to prison. And my wife literally is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I don't want anybody to go to prison. But, but, but I was serious as a heart attack. Right? Because I would rather them suffer greatly on this earth and not suffer an ounce in eternity 
than to have a nice, sweet, comfortable, middle-class American life of prosperity and burn in hell forever. And so, hey, God, do whatever you got to do to get his attention. And oh, by the way, you know what? I don't feel bad about praying that for him because I pray the same thing for myself. Hey, God, if there's something in my life that I'm blind to, you do whatever it takes to get my attention because I'm, I'm not above being stubborn, hard-hearted. Okay? Trust the motives of God's heart even when you feel like you distrust his methods, right? I, don't, I can't understand what you're doing. I don't like it but I trust your heart behind it, God. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. There is a literal story, you might remember. I think it's 2 Samuel chapter 17, when David is fleeing from Absalom. And there's people coming out cursing him, throwing rocks at him. You killed Saul. You deserve this. But there's somebody else that comes out and meets all of David's men in the middle of this battle and this fleeing, and he feeds him a feast. And so what David is saying is, in the best times and in the worst times of life, God, you are there feeding me, giving me exactly what I need. You're such a good God. You anoint my head with oil. It's a, it's a sign of blessing and pleasure, and specifically for the people of God, a sign of the Holy Spirit. God may take away a lot of things. He doesn't take away the Holy Spirit from his people. Our God is not a bare minimum God. He's lavish. He's gracious. He's generous. He loves to give good gifts to his children in all time. Okay. So, the last point. God pursues. Verse 6. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, the word there for follow, literally, better translated, would be chase, pursue, overtake. It, it oftentimes would use of one military force chasing down another military and overtaking them. I mean, they didn't have this idea so much in the Hebrew that we do, but it would, you, could, you could literally translate it in the modern vernacular, Right? I mean, you, you read it at first, and it kind of just seems like I'm just out there walking along with the bluebird on my shoulder, whistling, everything's wonderful, just surrounded by God's loving kindness. And, and, and there are seasons like that in our life. But there's also seasons where maybe we're straying, and God says, in my love, I'm going to chase him down and tackle him. I mean, this is another story about one of our kids. Uh, this is when we were still living in Florence, and my oldest son was probably three years old and it was the first time you know that Lena was going to leave him with somebody else to babysit so she could go and do something she was actually leaving him with our pastor's family and uh, they had kids a little bit older and maybe the, their youngest son was five I don't remember exactly but you know Jackson was not excited about the first time being left you know with somebody he didn't know and so as Lena you know left him and he's kind of crying and they're trying to distract him she got in the car she started driving away three-year-old Jackson like starts running through the grass to try to catch the car and five-year-old pastor's son hawked Jackson down and tackled him. And then he sat on him until his dad could get there. And, you know, the pastor was telling me the story later. And I was like, that's wonderful. Because what was that little five-year-old son doing? In the best of his ability, he was trying to protect three-year-old Jackson from running in the street and getting hit by a car. And, guys, there are times like that where God will do the same thing to us. If you're straying, if you're wondering, he will hawk you down. But it's a severe mercy. 
Again, guys, when I sense something in my heart that I'm struggling with, that I'm having a hard time with, that I'm not seeming to make any progress, one of the ways that I will pray is, hey, God, do whatever it takes. I want you to treat me, you know, the, the image in Revelation of Jesus standing at the door knocking, right, it's beautiful. But it's also a little scary to me because sometimes in my hard-heartedness, I don't want to open the door. So I'll just pray, hey, Jesus, I would like you to be more like a SWAT team commander. Just kick the door of my heart in. Don't wait on me to open it. I might be too slow. I might be too stubborn. Okay? I want you to pursue me because I don't trust myself to always pursue you. So, One commentator, a guy named Tate, he said this. This psalm presupposes an awareness of helplessness and need. And so to the degree that you or I feel like I'm strong, I'm put together, I've got this, I'm an independent operator, you're probably not going to experience this. But to the sense there is a real sense of God, I am weak, I am needy, I am helpless. If you don't help me, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. Do you remember Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, 9? God said to him, my power is perfected in what? And then Paul says, therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weakness. Now, you ever thought about what exactly does that mean, to boast in your weakness? <clears throat> I heard somebody else say this. If dependence on God is our goal, then weakness is to our advantage. Right? Because to the degree I feel strong, I don't need to depend on God. But to the degree I feel weak, I need to depend on so what does it really mean to boast in our weaknesses? Here's my, here's my best understanding. Number one, it just means this. Be honest with yourself about your weaknesses. Admit them. Okay? But here's the second point, and I think this is what trips a lot of us up. Be honest with others about your weakness. Right? Be willing to talk openly with others about your weakness. That does not mean that the next homeless person you meet downtown, you've got to share all your dirty laundry with. But there ought to be people close with you that you can say, let me put all the cards on the table. Here's my weakness. Here's my temptation. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's where I need help. <clears throat> my mother-in-law uh, lives in town. She's got plenty of weakness. And in virtually every way, weakness. Just be, I mean, just be honest. She is a believer. Praise the Lord. Okay? Other than that, it's a testimony of weakness. And at one point, we, my wife and I were very aware that she was struggling financially, right? We, we, had, we had seen the mail and the bank statements of bounced checks. So we went to talk to her. And our goal was to say, we're willing to help. What do you need? We, 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 you know, we don't have a ton of money, but we, we got more than you got, and we can help out with this. We don't want you to be bouncing checks. And as we tried to talk to her about it, anybody want to guess how she responded? She's lying at first. She's like, oh, everything's fine. And I mean, I've got the bank statement in my back pocket. Now, why was she doing that? Because there's a sense of problem. I mean, who wants to have to say to their own child one day, I need you to pay my bills? That's humiliating. I hope I'm never there. But here's the point. If you do get there, <laughs> don't lie about it. Don't try to cover up and say, everything's fine here, nothing to see. I mean, it sounds like Adam and Eve in the garden. Everything's fine, God. Nothing going on. 
And it sounds like us so many times. I got this. I'm fine. That's not the way that God wants us to be. That's not the way that you boast in your weakness. Okay? We need to be much more like a dumb, weak, immature, helpless sheep. But at least we know this. I run to the shepherd. I don't run away from the shepherd. But guys, here's the real encouraging thing. Even when we do run away from the shepherd, he chases us down. Right? Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, right? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. How far will the Lord Jesus Christ pursue us? John 10, 11, he said, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. I lay down my life for the sheep. I mean, Philippians 4, 19, my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches. He will provide for you in such a way that you'll see how glorious his riches are. Matthew 11, 28, 29, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. So, Jesus doesn't just lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. He goes through it with us. In fact, he's already been through it ahead of us. Okay? So even when you're in a time and a season, and have you ever been in a time and a season? I know I have. Where it's like, I feel like God is disciplining me. And I can't really complain because I deserve it. There ought to be deep comfort in our heart, guys, because there's a sense of which... The hand that holds the rod of discipline for God's people is a nail-pierced hand. It's a loving hand. It's a compassionate hand. Ultimately, how far will the Lord Jesus pursue his people? He got up off of a throne in heaven. He came to earth as a poor man, a humble man. He went to the cross, a shameful, a painful death. He literally went all the way through hell to pursue us. That's how great his love is. And that ought to bring so much comfort, so much joy, so much rest, so much hope, so much trust, even in the worst of times. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We don't love you near enough, and we are not near faithful enough in our obedience. Our obedience is so spotty. It's so weak. Uh, We weave and waver so much. We're frail, we're fragile, we're fickle. But you are faithful. You are perfect in your obedience. You are perfect in your glory. You are perfect in your love. You are perfect in your power and your wisdom. And we trust you. In the wonderful times, we trust you. In the hard times, we trust you. In the boring, mundane, in-between times, We trust you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Make us into the men and women of faith that you want us to be who can honestly boast in our weaknesses because in our weaknesses, your power, your presence is made perfect. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.